Being a Better Man, Episode 83. All right, guys, welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to Storytime with Alf. Storytime is where I tell a true story from my strange and interesting life. The purpose of the story is not just to entertain you, but also to share with you the lesson or lessons I learned from that story. They might even cause you to reevaluate parts of your life and help you get lessons that you never knew were there. With that being said, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. I was 16 years old. I had a driver's license and I was finally at a point in my life where I had a little bit of freedom because I could drive myself wherever I needed to go. That's one drawback of living out in the country. Most of your friends live in the city and unless you have a way to get into the city, you don't really get to hang out with them. One of my friends who lived in the city was Ryan and Ryan was a good guy. We would hang out and get poker games together, and we both liked to eat a lot, and we both liked to laugh a lot, and we laughed at each other's jokes, so we got along pretty well. One day, over at Ryan's house, he was showing me his dad's black powder rifles and pistols. You know, like old-fashioned muskets, guns that you have to pour gunpowder in and then load them with a ball right down the barrel, like they did in the Civil War. It's still a hobby that's practiced today. Anyway, as he is explaining his father's supplies to me, I learned that there are four different grades of black powder from 1F to 4F. 4F was the finest and the most explosive, while 1F was coarse and a little slower burning. Before the night was over, Ryan and I decided it would be a good idea to design our own bomb using his dad's gunpowder. We were not interested in blowing ourselves up, so we planned to start out small. We knew the size of the explosion was directly related to the amount of resistance and compression, so we got some notebook paper out of our school supplies, about a quarter-inch thick stack of paper. We dumped a pile of 4F black powder on it, Then we folded and rolled the paper as tightly as we could while wrapping it with duct tape. When we were done, we had something about the size of an orange. It even looked like a bomb. For a fuse, we decided to use fine steel wool. It's made out of magnesium, and it will actually burn without creating a flame. I don't remember why we knew that, but the other cool thing about steel wool was that you could stretch it out to make yourself a timed fuse. Before we ever tried it out, we tested several fuses of different lengths to see how long they burned. We kept notes. It was all quite scientific. To attach the fuse, we carefully cut a hole in the bomb and taped it in place. Now we were ready to blow it up, which is where me living out in the country came in handy because I knew a ton of places that were remote out in the woods. That is where our bomb laboratory test site would be. That first bomb we made was probably my favorite, because it was the first. We put it at the base of a tree. There was a lot of thick brush around it, too. We lit it and took off running to a safe position that we had previously decided on. 
because remember, we were not interested in blowing ourselves up. We waited. Then we waited some more. We started to wonder if the fuse had gone out when all of a sudden it blew. We were expecting the sound of like a large M80 on 4th of July, but what we got was louder than we expected, much louder. The sound of the explosion echoed four times off the sides of different hills. It was pretty amazing. The problem with successfully making a bomb was that now we were hooked. All we wanted to do now was make bigger, louder bombs. We wanted to improve our methods and keep getting better. And we did. We were only limited by Ryan's dad's supply of gunpowder, but he was well stocked when we were starting out. There wasn't any ill intent behind our bomb making. We really just loved the science of it, and the explosion too, of course. Our bombs got bigger and bigger, and more and more devastating in their destructive power. Our biggest bomb cleared a six-foot circle of thick brush down to bare dirt. There was a problem, though. There wasn't really a practical use for our bombs, and they were dangerous, even though we were being careful. We decided the answer to this problem was an underwater bomb. That would have a practical use because we could make depth charges, drop them in a lake from a boat, and then pick up all the fish that were floating around, killed by the shockwave. Brilliant. It's amazing how people can justify the things they're doing. The first thing we had to do was invent an underwater fuse. The bomb itself was already watertight. We came up with an idea that we thought would work. We took some clear plastic tubing and stuffed it with the coarse, slower burning powder. Once it was lit, it would keep burning by continuously lighting the dry powder in the tube before the water was able to put it out. We had to test our theory immediately. We manufactured a small bomb, a little bigger than an apricot. We made the fuse and attached it. Now we had to test it, but where? In Ryan's backyard, there was one of those galvanized metal wash tubs that hold 25 or 30 gallons of water. It was circular, about 16 inches tall. We decided that since it was a smallish bomb, we could just do it in his backyard. We had become cocky and arrogant and desensitized to the nature of bombs and what effect they might have in a neighborhood. We were too anxious to try out our new invention. For the first time since we had started making bombs, we threw caution to the wind and filled the tub with water. It was in the afternoon. Everybody was home from work. Families were sitting down to dinner all around us, and Ryan's parents were both home as well. We gave each other a hopeful look, lit the fuse, and dropped it in the water. We didn't even go away to a safe distance. No, we actually stood close enough to watch our underwater fuse burning beneath the water. We were shouting, it's working, it's working, and then the explosion came. It wasn't as small of an explosion as we thought it would be. All of our practice and improved methods meant we could pack more power into a tinier bundle. We forgot about that part. Immediately after the explosion, it was like everything in the world stopped, probably because we were temporarily deaf. Where was the water? We looked around. 
Then we looked up, and there was the water hanging in a column up in the sky. Apparently, the size of the bomb, the slant of the tub's sides, the amount of water, everything was just right, so that when the water tried to escape the explosion, it met resistance at the side of the tub and shot straight up into the air. It was pretty amazing. The last thing the expanding water did before it left the tub was to blow out all the seams in the metal wash tub and leave it flattened like a pop can run over by a car. Then the water started to fall all around us all at once. Ryan and I were standing there, drenched by water, laughing hysterically at this crazy thing we had caused to happen, delighted that we had invented something that worked. What we didn't yet realize is that the percussion had rattled the windows of all the houses for a couple blocks in all directions. All the dogs in the whole neighborhood were barking. Less than a minute had passed since the explosion, and we hadn't had time to finish our celebration when Ryan's parents came bounding into the backyard from the back door of the house. They both wore expressions of fear and panic. Obviously, they had expected to see the worst. But then they saw us, laughing hysterically, drenched in water, standing next to a flattened, galvanized tub. Their expressions changed quickly to anger. After a few moments of glaring at us, his mom said, Alf, it's time for you to leave. She didn't have to tell me twice. I got out of there as fast as I could. Luckily, they didn't call my parents. We were no longer allowed access to the black powder after that. In fact, Ryan's parents kind of discouraged him hanging out with me too much at all. And I don't think I was ever invited to dinner ever again. We were still friends, but it was different somehow. That was the last bomb I ever made, and that's the end of this story. So why did I tell you this? I want to be really clear. I am in no way advocating kids making bombs. It might have sounded like fun, but it was one of the stupidest things I ever got involved with. We were just a couple kids pretending to be rocket scientists. It was crazy, and we're really lucky we both survived. Do not, I repeat, do not try this at home. I told you about this so I could share the lesson I learned from it. It was an important lesson about being in control of your intellect, or more specifically, not losing control of it. When it was all over, and my bomb career was done, I could still remember some of the close calls we had, and there were several. Once I was no longer doing it, I could see the progression that took place in our minds. I could see how, with each successful bomb, we became more and more relaxed and more careless, to the point of lighting a bomb in a residential neighborhood. I could remember the excitement and the exhilaration that came over me when we were making bombs and blowing them up, and it was suddenly clear that that level of exhilaration is unhealthy. It's unhealthy because it completely takes over the part of your brain where common sense lives. It renders your intellectual decision-making part of your brain useless. You get kind of addicted to the excitement of it, and then that becomes all that matters. 
It doesn't have to be bombs that do this. Pretend bombs in video games can create the same unhealthy effect. Drugs can do it too, or risky criminal behavior, or any number of things. Some women can even have this effect on a guy, separating him from reality. And I'm sure some guys can do that to women too. But here's the bottom line. There is a certain type of intense excitement that crosses the line. It's dangerous. And it almost always involves potentially dangerous activities. And if it gets a hold of you, many bad things can happen. I was lucky, but there are thousands of guys in prison or dead who were not so lucky. So be on the lookout for it. Learn to identify it so that you can avoid it. In order to be a better man today than you were yesterday, you have to stay alive. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad, signing out.